This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mammoliti. What advice would you give uh, to someone who's maybe new to using extra virgin olive oil and they want to learn more about it? Taste, taste, and taste. Taste a lot of oils. Um, try to, uh, you know, be curious with it. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, we don't taste wine with cheese. We don't taste wine with bread. We don't taste anything with anything. We taste by itself. Olive oil should be tasted by itself. At the end of the day, what you want to look for is freshness, fruit, and nature. If it smells like crayons, if it smells like you just opened a bag of chips, if it smells like... Um, like the piece of prosciutto that you left in your countertop for, for overnight. Oh my gosh! <laughs> if, it, if it smells like if it smells like dirty socks, if it smells like that, then it's your no dirty good. socks. Let me put it on my salad. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mary Mammoliti, the host and producer of the Kitchen Confession podcast. Have you ever wondered what happened to the parts of an interview that didn't make the final cut? Well, then you're in luck. Our editor Matt. He hangs on to all the little bits we trim off to keep the episodes under 30 minutes. And now we share those with you in a special edition we call Cut for Time. It's jam-packed with all that bonus content from recent episodes. So let's begin. First up is Phil Bucchino. He's an international extra virgin olive oil expert and the founder and producer at Abandoned Grove. In May, Phil told us all about why he's obsessed with olive oil and here he is with a little more about the challenges and trends of the industry. Plus, some advice for people who are new to the world of extra virgin olive oil. The main challenge that I see is education. The main education um, and, and education and the roots to tradition, to me, are one of the biggest challenges in the world because we can't, it's very hard to break the roots to say, for an Italian to say that I tasted a really phenomenal Spanish oil the other day, a lot of Italians would be like, what are you talking about? Or, you know, the same thing for Greeks. Because, I mean, if you're Greek, then, then Greece makes the best olive oil. If you're Italian, Italy makes the best olive oil. And not only Italian. depends what region you come from. Oh, you don't know anything about Tuscany. I am from this region. Calabria makes the best olive oil. Sicily makes the best olive oil. <laughs> the best producers are... I'm, I'm partial. I would say Calabria, but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> yeah. but, that's, but that's for me. Like, my folks will say Tuscany makes the best olive oil. And if you go to Liguria... But, but the really cool thing is that the new wave of producers understand that it's not the country, understand that it's not the region, understand that all of the country or the region, that there's this peculiarities about it and, and the special things about it, but it is the producer. So now producers, instead of having their doors closed like they used to, it's like, oh, you're from Calabria, you're from Tuscany, you're from Sicily, I'm not talking to you, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, hey, wait a minute, what did you do with that? Oh, that's really cool. I wonder if we can take that technology here and work it with this cultivar because we have different climatic conditions and different microclimates. What would happen? So that conversation is beyond exciting. Um, but before all of that happens, I think there needs to be a, a switch in the general consumer, understanding that there is more to olive oil than just olive oil. The industry is one thing. The premium olive oil production is another thing. They both serve a purpose. They're different purposes. It's not about one's better, than, one's better or worse than the other. They, they do different things. It's a different avenues, right? What are some of the key trends and developments that you're seeing in the extra virgin olive oil industry right now, right at this moment? Okay, for one, a lot of positive things. Awareness is definitely growing. 
I think all the studies coming out onto the health benefits of the Mediterranean diet and olive oil being the foundation of the Mediterranean diet, not the Mediterranean diet, but part of the Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet. Awareness is increasing. The health awareness is definitely uh, sparking the curiosity. Uh, obviously, we know that Starbucks just released an olive oil coffee. Wait a minute. What? Tell me about this. Yeah, yeah, they call it the Goliato. They call it, they 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 actually pretty pretty impressive move. They they rolled it out in Tus in, uh, in Tuscany. Sorry, they rolled it out in Italy first. We're talking about Tuscany a lot. They rolled it out in Italy first, and I think it was at the Starbucks Reserve and um, like some. You're flagship saying Tuscany store because subliminally, that's where I want to be right now is Tuscany. So you're picking up on that. Anyway, go on. Let's go. Come visit me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm picking up the energy. <laughs> uh, they t- they tested it. They tested it in Italy first, uh, and I'm not sure exactly. I, th- I I've heard mixed things, but I do like the idea of it. The, the thought of it, you know, the thought of I, again, this is just just my opinion for for what it's worth. It seems to me uh, it's a piggyback on bulletproof coffee, which was cool. So maybe replacing That's butter it. with olive oil, replacing butter with olive oil, a healthy alternative to bulletproof oil and all that stuff. That was right, you know right. So I think um, there's definitely awareness. Uh, there's a lot of new brands on the market that are saying the right thing. So it's definitely sparking the curiosity. And I think people are starting to realize, hey, wait a minute, maybe I haven't tasted a life-changing oil yet, but there seems to me that there's something else about olive oil than what I used to know. What advice would you give uh, to someone who's maybe new to using extra virgin olive oil and they want to learn more about it? Taste. Taste. And taste. Taste a lot of oils. Um, try to, uh, you know, be curious with it. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, we don't taste wine with cheese. We don't taste wine with bread. We don't taste anything with anything. We taste by itself. Olive oil should be tasted by itself. So even at home, everybody has a bottle of olive oil or extra virgin olive oil, or whatever it may say on the label. Taste it and be like, do you like it? Do you not like it? At the end of the day, what you want to look for is freshness fruit and nature again an extra virgin olive oil um, has three broad qualities it has to be fruity it has to be bitter and it has to be pungent those are the three qualities that it needs to have now super complex olive oils have incredible complexities and balance between these three broader terms um but it's fruit juice so when you taste it it has to tastes like fruit it has to remind you of nature so go home you taste some oil and you go hmm, this one doesn't feel like nature or maybe it does but compare it to another oil because olive oil taste is about comparative it's this against this it's you're tasting one oil against another oil an oil by itself is very difficult i mean you can judge it as far as it has defects or not defects but it's very difficult um if you're starting out in olive oil to really be able to tell the difference. So you need to taste different ones. Taste the more expensive one. Taste the cheaper one. Taste the commercial one. Uh, taste blindly. And uh, and also, we'll say, take a course. There's a lot of courses out there now. Um, I think still the best ones are still in Europe right now. Um, ones that taste blindly. There's a few courses on this side of the world where you taste a lot of oils, which is really great to, to get into olive oil um, because you get to taste cultivars from all over the world and different uh, sensory profiles. But often, some of these courses are you're tasting in relation to a brand. 
So then you start building an association of a flavor profile to a brand. And I think to really learn the appreciation of olive oil, you need to be brand agnostic at first. You need to, because again, um, going back earlier in the conversation, even our oil or the most awarded olive oils in the world, the ones that we judge are competitions that every judge in the room says, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever tasted in my life, will eventually become rancid. So it's important to taste and taste and taste uh, and look for nature, look for vegetable, look for freshness in that oil. If it tastes like, if it smells like crayons, if it smells like you just opened a bag of chips, if it smells like um, like the piece of prosciutto that you left on your countertop for overnight. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if it smells like if it smells like dirty socks, if it smells like that, then it's Here, no dirty good. socks. Let me put it on my salad. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. Uh, so that's the thing that we don't go to we don't go to you know to the bakery and be like, I want the stale bread. Can you can you get me that one? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what that's I want. A, Give me the one that's a week old. That's, a, that, that's the one that I want. <laughs> but that's uh that's kind of that's what we're doing. But see, but see, here's the thing where um and I understand this. Number one. There's a thing with butter. If I take butter and leave it out of the fridge, it turns orange after a while. So we go, hey, wait a minute. That's oxidized. It's probably not good. Throw it out. Get a new one. Problem with olive oil, that before it turns orange, and it does eventually turn orange, before it does, years have to pass. So the defects are not visible to our eyes. We don't see them. So unless we learn how to taste it, what to look for in the smell, in the aroma, and making sure that it leaves your mouth clean and pl- and leaves it with a pleasant taste the same way that you would have when you're eating anything that's fresh. Until that happens, we're just going to keep ignoring it. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. This week, we're sharing bonus content from recent episodes. Next up, we meet Ryan Hinkson on episode 138. He's the founder and creator of the popular Instagram account at eFamous, a social media platform dedicated to sharing and highlighting some of the city's restaurants and trending dishes. Ryan shared his thoughts on the ups and downs of social media for food content creators and some of the most memorable meals he's experienced over the years. What are some of the challenges that you face? Um, as a food creator on social media. So I ask this because there are so many different things. There are positive aspects of social media. There are um, negative aspects of it. What have you encountered? What have you come across on both both sides of that? Sure, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the tough things is relevancy. Um, you know, I've I've definitely been doing this for a long time in the scope of like, I guess if we're using Instagram's popularity as a timeline, I was very early in and, you know, creators are always fighting against changes in the algorithm. Um, every day there's a new account that, you know, um, mirrors yours or does what you do. The city is filled with incredibly talented people. Um, I, I know internally for myself, like I was never, like I, I mentioned earlier, I wasn't even a, a social media type person to begin with. So I feel like I was always kind of learning um, the back end of things. I, I don't have like a professional videography or, or photography background either. So on the technical side, I, I'm always trying to stay abreast of any kind of changes or tips or hacks that can help me. And then also, um, you know, like the city itself, restaurants, 
open and closed. Like it feels like every two minutes, um, the trends are constantly changing. You're, 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 you, you, you wrestle with, um, wondering if, you know, should you be focusing on just like what you love or representing what you want to put out there? Um, but understanding that there might be certain, you know, foods or trends or stories that people are, uh, part of the pun hungry to, you know, to see or to take in. Um, so there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, of challenges. And then also being aware that, you know, um, I operate primarily on a platform that I don't own. I mean, at a snap of a finger, Instagram could shut down, right? Like, you know, you think about how many eggs you put into this basket on one platform versus the other. Um, yeah, there's there's always there's always thought about um, you know what's changing. How can I do things better? And then also just remaining like true to myself and being that account that's growing and changing because everything that exists should grow and change, but then still being that person that um, that follower chose to to follow in the first place and not alienate anyone. How do you deal with comments that are not necessarily in a positive light? So, you know, I'm sugarcoating this, right? Yeah, so I don't want to say because everyone says it, the trolls. Right. Um, because there are people out there that... They're, they're, they hide behind the keyboard yeah. and they put comments out there and they forget that there is a human behind yeah. all of this. Yeah. Um, and what you're putting out there is organic information. It's not curated in terms of it's not going through, you know, production companies and, and the whole bit. And you are sharing your opinion. And ultimately, it's your platform the same way theirs is theirs. Right. Um, but when they, they kind of share that with you in not such a positive light, how do you deal with that? Um. I deal with it much better than I used to. <laughs> right. You I used to learn. take a lot personally um, and obsess over, um, you know, wanting to, to people please and have this, this perfect uh, community of individuals who followed only because they wanted to say positive things and they loved what they were seeing. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've learned to have a thick skin about it. Um, and then also too, I, I have a, I have responsibility uh, this is like, you know, my career. Plus I work with a lot of brands. I have partners. I'm rep by an agency. So I have uh, responsibility to others, not just myself. Um, so, you know, I, you, you, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. I, I, I heard it growing up, kill them with kindness sometimes. Yes. I was just going to say that. Yeah. You know, um, and I, there's a friend of mine actually, who she does an incredible job of, turning these negative uh, comments around and like playfully engaging with the person. Um, and then sometimes, you know, you might, you might get a laugh out of it. And then sometimes too, just like, I mean, some people are just, are just straight up mean and there's no confusing what they're doing. Uh, but a lot of times when you're reading something, you know, tone, intonation, all of these kind of things can be lost. Right. So I, I learned not to take it that seriously. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I also have the power of just deleting a comment, blocking someone if I have to. I, I try not to. I'm, I'm, I'm not really trying to police my my account. Um, but thankfully, it's although there's there's been a lot of negativity. Um, you know, from everything from oh, you know, you're you're gonna die. You're the reason why people have heart disease or um, you're gross. Like you hear a lot of, but I mean, it's way, there's way more love. There's way more positivity. I, I have people that have been following me for years. I have people that have traveled from other countries 
um, to Toronto and we've, we've sat down and had meals together. So the experience that I have with the people that are supportive is, is far greater, has much bigger impact. So that helps because it does get under my skin when people, um, you know, right. get a little crazy. And it can. Yeah, for Well, sure. because we all want everyone to like us. But un- unfortunately, we don't live in a, you know, a perfect world. Not true. everyone can like us. Um, we know this. But still, when you read the comments at times, Ooh. it does cut sometimes. Yeah. One comment, one negative comment will feel like 30 positive ones. You know, so I think sometimes I just got to like reshift my my perspective. Can you share maybe a particular memorable meal? Either you've eaten, you've purchased, you've had, you've cooked. Um, something that just sparks this joyous memory for you. So, um, it's 2018, 2018, 2017, um, I, I got to do um, like a 10-city trip to Italy. And... Um, I had certain ideas about what I was going to love the most and where I was most excited to eat. And Florence um, just swept me off my feet. I remember um, having a pesto lasagna um, in this little shop that was like, in, you know, like in those narrow little alleyways. Um, and we we didn't go to like any, well, actually, no, sorry. We went to like one place that was like hyped the, um, I'm going to mispronounce it. The, the sandwich place that everybody goes. They have two locations facing each other. Lantico? Yes. Lantico? Yeah. I know because I've been there. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should remember it because I literally, in two days, I went four times. Like, you know, sometimes places are really, really hyped up. And you're like, oh, it's okay. Or the hype is too much. But that place really, really, they actually opened two locations in New York recently as well. Did they really? Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, friends are saying that it's good, but I, I have to preface when I ask them, like, have you been to the original in Florence? Because I feel like you're gonna get different bread, different ingredients. Okay, so the bread that they make at this place, I have to. We have to explain it yes. a little bit. Yes. Okay, because for people understand, because they're thinking, okay, it's just a sandwich, no. no big deal. No, it is. So the bread they make it in house. They make it fresh that day. It's a cross between, I want to say, a ciabatta. And a focaccia bread. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's a it's a mix of the two. Um, it's got fresh cold cuts, um, and it's honestly the sandwich is probably the size of my head. Yeah. That's saying a lot. That's big. Yes. Like it's just it's huge. Yeah. It's it's an abundance of stuff. When you went, I don't know if they still have this because it's post pandemic. Did you go pre or post pandemic? Pre. Pre. Did they have the wine? Oh no, I don't think so. Okay, when I went, so they had this almost like honor system where they put all these bottles of wine right in front of this, the little shop before you go into order. Right. And you pour yourself a glass of wine. Oh, my. Not kidding. And then you go in, you get your sandwich, or even after you order, you pour yourself a glass of wine and you can eat and drink at the side of the road. These little, I tell you, it was so good and so much fun. Like they have to make that experience even better. Right? Like, it's just, it was next level. I remember I ordered, and I think I ordered, like, something basic. And the guy behind the counter just laughed at me and said, no, I'm making you something. And right? I was like... Yeah, they're like, no. I'm like, no, you I, can't I, I come here. Sandwich. And he's like, I'm making you something. And I would... So every time I went, I would just be like, make me something. And every Everything time that it. comes out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that comes out of there. No joke. And there's a reason why they're so popular. Yes. 
Finally, we spoke recently with writer and food stylist Susan Spungen about her latest cookbook, Veg Forward. Here's Susan talking about some of her favorite flavor combos. Um, I love, let's see. I mean, I guess I, I really like beets. <laughs> I know that some people don't love beets, but what, one of the things I like about beets um, is that they're so versatile. Like, for instance, last night, I, I love great raw grated beets. They're so juicy. I love putting them in a salad, but I also love them roasted or grilled or just simply boiled. They're just super versatile and you can get them all year round. And um, I I do love them. I know that it's probably kind of a polarizing vegetable to say was my favorite vegetable, but um, I really love a lot of different vegetables. So uh, I really like fennel, also polarizing. Again, for some of its its ability to go raw or cook and have such a completely different character uh, when it's raw or cooked. I have a, a recipe for braised fennel wedges in the in the book, and they're kind of sheet pan braised on a sheet pan. So first you get them all roasted and brown, and then you add some liquid. So you're kind of like just doing a quick braise in the oven. Um, on a sheet on a sheet tray. So and it comes out really nice. And it then it has it has parmesan added towards the end. So that parmesan gets kind of gooey on the fennel, crispy on the pan. It's it's so simple, but it's one of those recipes in the book where I feel like it's a very short recipe, but you might not have thought of cooking something the fennel in this way and i think that the flavor that you get from so few ingredients is very gratifying that was like a, a favorite recipe for the re- for that reason sort of you know low low effort and high impact which seems to be a popular sort of description these days of recipes low effort low high impact so it's it is one of those and the leftovers from that fennel make a great um, a great pasta, for instance, like if let's say you have some of this braised fennel left over, you could just chop it up, mix it in with some hot pasta. It's so flavorful. Maybe add some ricotta or a very melty cheese like Taleggio or just even some Parmesan. And you just kind of mix that up with the fennel and you're, you're all set. If you eat meat, you could add a little sausage. It's a perfect dish, but I also love it shaved on the mandolin. I love a shaped, fluffy shaved fennel salad. So those are two of my favorites, but I think, I think every recipe that I, every vegetable that I included is one that I really love, except maybe daikon. I did include, include a recipe for daikon because I do think that it's good when you eat it, when you cook it properly, but it's not like, oh my God, I have to have some daikon right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I want to meet someone who says that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I thought, you know, I have to at least show people what to do with Daikon because another, you know, way that I want the book to function is if you belong to a CSA, for instance, and many people do, and they get their box of vegetables, and I want them to be able to look in the book and find something to make with, say, kohlrabi or Daikon if they're like, I have no idea what to do with this. So you could look in the book and the index and everything, everything is indexed by vegetable and um, so you can say, oh, well, I have daikon. What can I make? I did only do one recipe for daikon. I will. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. 
Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchen confession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mamalini. Thanks for listening.